We had such a great weekend last uh, weekend, 11 people baptized, sharing their faith, uh, uh, such great stories. Uh, excited what God's been doing in this series. We're going through a series called Hope Arising, in which we're looking at the very first Christians as the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened and, and the way that that not only changed their lives, but the way that God began to use them to change the world. We're here and, and we're worshiping t- together today because of the, the faith and the hope of these first Christians. So let me invite you to turn to Acts chapter 4. We're going to pick up where we, we left off last week and we're going to look at a, a wonderful picture of how uniquely different this first community was from the rest of the world, uh, how generous they were, uh, and, and the way that they saw things differently than the rest of the world. Now, as you're turning there, I want you to, I, I, one thing I would say about, about you all, uh, about this church, is that you all are very generous. You're, this is a very generous church, and, and I think it's exciting to see that uh, we, we've identified as a core value of who we are and who we want to be that uh, we want to be a generous church. We know we are at our best when we are living generous lives with our, our time, our talents, and our treasures is the way that we say it. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about our treasures, and next week, it's our time and talents. It's just where the text takes us. So this week, the text helps us think about the way to be generous uh, with your treasures, and next week, we'll see how uh, the Scripture speaks about being generous with your time and your talent. Uh, but, but this is a very generous church. Let me just, I, I get to see things that sometimes you don't get to see, and I want to share them with you. But um, over and above, we just had our offering. And so we, we, uh, we have a tremendous uh, a program that we're doing here, and you give to that. And, uh, and then on top of that, there have been different things that we've invited you to participate in. And uh, as you've given, here's some things to think about. Over the last year, you have given $154,000 to help launch our new campus, Beach Point Huntington Beach. And you saw in the photos just uh, how exciting it is. Pastor Ken and his leadership over there, um, they're meeting right now. They just started their service. Uh, but eight weeks in and they've baptized five people already. I, I, I mean, it's exciting what God is already doing in, in their midst. Uh, $13,000 that you have given uh, for camp scholarships. Now, as you think about that, I, I know for myself, the very first camp I ever went to, all our family could afford, we were a single mom house, so all we could afford was the deposit. Someone, I don't know if you're here today, but someone paid the other 100 bucks for me to go to camp. I would tell you that was a very good investment. I think you're getting your money's worth. And so thank you uh, for doing that for me. You changed my life. But, but we give out of this vision, right, of, of seeing our young people change, their lives change. And so we give. And, and without even asking, I didn't even ask, uh, you guys gave $13,000 just on your own, just the, your pro- the prompting of God in your life to give to camp scholarships. We did, we have a three-year goal to raise about $30,000 for Bible translation for the Ita people. And in six weeks, you guys raised $9,700 for that project, just in a, in a short six-week period. And, and some of you have now jumped on board. You're going to be uh, sponsoring a, a verse every month. It was so neat to watch families go out, pick verses, and sign up on the board and do the whole thing. And if you were here, we had this whole project that we were doing. Go in the lobby, read the story of Lena, and see again the the fact that lives are being changed. There's a whole people group. There's actually three different uh, uh, translations that are going to take place. But you guys are helping to translate scripture for a whole people group in a region. They're reading scripture for the first time in their life in their own heart language, and their lives are being changed. Uh, But you have just very uh, generous hearts. Uh, Over the last two years, 
you guys have, have made about 2,000 Operation Christmas Child boxes. And, uh, and so uh, about 2,000 kids around the world uh, received the box that you made, your family made. They opened it. And just, uh, uh, just these uh, wonderful things that, that uh, God has been able to do. That the door that opens up for the gospel to be shared and, and for ministry to happen. Uh, so in the last year, just over and above, there's a whole list of things I could go into, but just over uh, the last year, over and above, just our normal offerings we take for all the dynamic things we do here, you've given $350,000 over and above. Uh, you put that together with, with our budget and the things, it's almost $2 million. That's not even including the Operation Christmas Child boxes, which, I don't know, probably about $20, $30 a box. Very generous people. So why are you like this? So I began to think about this and pray, why, why is our church so generous? Why do we want to be like this? And, and as we're looking at the passage we're going to look at today, I think it's because of this. And, and this is the first fill-in, and, and we'll get to the big idea in just a moment. But it's about God's extravagant love towards you. It's about God's extravagant generosity towards us. And that has compelled us to be extravagantly generous towards others. See, what Matt, as Matt led you in that moment, as you began to pray and think about it, have you ever, could you ever experience greater generosity than what you've experienced through our Heavenly Father? I mean, could anyone ever give you anything more generous than to offer his one and only Son on your behalf? Could, could you ever encounter or experience anything more generous than the very King of glory laying down his crown, humbling himself, entering this earth, and becoming a servant on your behalf, and standing in your place, and taking your sin upon himself, receiving your punishment, taking the very wrath of God upon himself, so that you might be saved. Could anyone possibly do anything even remotely close to as generous as that? And the more you've let that truth seep into your heart, and the more that you've been humbled by how much you've been loved and how much God cares and how generous God is towards you, the more you let that seep into your life, the more you, you recognize that you'll never be able to pay him back and you're not trying to pay him back. But now instead of doing good deeds to earn God's favor, you have experienced his favor. You've experienced his blessing. And now you are, are acting in a way uh, to respond to that. You're giving your lives, you're giving your treasures, you're giving your time and your talent because of the very fact that you know that God has been so generous towards you. So you live differently because, as we've seen in the book of Acts, something happened to you. When you came to faith, not only did you decide to be a part of this kingdom, not only did your sins get wiped away when you, you came to Christ in faith, but God did something to you. He placed within you his spirit. And so the spirit of this generous God now lives within you. So you can't help it, can you? You can't help but see things differently. You see needs you never saw before. You see opportunities you never saw before. And your heart races for them. You hear things, don't you? You hear the voice of God speak into your life to act and do things that you would never dream of doing. And your friends think you're crazy, don't they? 
I mean, if you, if you were to lay out your ledger and show them and, uh, how much you give away, how much of your money you give away to, to causes that change lives, if they were to look at it, they would think you're crazy. They'd think you're crazy. Why do you give so much money away? No one lives like that. You're, you're, totally, you're not living the OC dream, guys. You're, you're giving away your wealth because you believe it makes a difference in this world. But this is not how this world lives. And this is not how this, uh, but, but you cannot help it because this generous God lives within you. And you see things differently. You hear things differently. You feel things differently than you ever did before. See, this is why uh, the Apostle Paul, who we're going to see in a couple weeks in the book of Acts, is, here's this t- really a terrorist against the church. And he has this amazing conversion experience and becomes this leader of the church. And in fact, most of the New Testament that we read is written by him. He would write to one of the young leaders he was raising up. He could say this in 1 Timothy 6. He says this. Here's his instruction to this young leader. He says this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. And so that it may take hold of a life that is truly life. Now I ask you honestly, is anyone in Orange County thinking like this? Does anyone in Orange County think the idea of don't put your hope in wealth? I mean, everywhere we look, everything we feel in this part of our, uh, the world, the whole idea is put your hope in wealth. Find a way to get wealthy. That's the best way you can live life. Everything in this, in this community thinks this way. And yet uh, the, the scriptures and the spirit of God says to you, don't put your hope in wealth. Use your wealth to create hope. It's a completely different way of thinking about, the, about life. It's a completely different way to think about the world. But you can't help but think that way because the, the spirit of this generous God now lives within you. So let me give you a big idea that we'll look at and it will, it will help us unpackage uh, this, uh, this great passage. Uh, but here's our idea that we're going to talk about today, that God's power is at work through generous, uh, God's power at work through generous people changes lives. I want you to see a very simple principle today that when God's power is at work, when people are generous with what God has entrusted them, when God's power is at work, you're going to see lives change. In fact, some of you would say, that's my story. That's my story. My life was changed because of generous people. Or you'll say, that's my story because as I've learned to live generously, all I keep seeing is lives get changed, lives get changed, lives get changed, and I can't help but want to be a part of it. I want to ride that wave. See, what happens is this, that as we live generously, God gives us the opportunity to do good deeds, good things in the community. And good deeds leads to goodwill. And goodwill opens the door for us to proclaim the good news. See, we've seen this already as we've been reading the book of Acts. As you think about good deeds leads to goodwill, which opens the door for good news. Acts 2, we were going through this a couple weeks ago. We saw this, this phrase that they were praising God. And notice, they were enjoying the favor of the people. I just talked about how they, had, they were sharing their possessions to make sure there was no one in need. And notice the favor. The people on the outside, people were looking at them with favor. 
And as a result, look what God did. He began to open doors for the the proclamation of the good news. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, the first Christians lived this way. In fact, it's interesting, about 200 years after this, after the book of Acts, uh, in the city of Carthage, uh, there was this great plague that broke out. Healthy people were leaving the city in droves. Uh, they had to. They, they, there was just this threat of contamination, losing everything that they had. So in the midst of this panic, as all the healthy people are running away from everyone who is sick and suffering, the Christians decided to act differently. And the, the leader, uh, the Christian leader of that time was a man named Cyprian. And he drew together the Christians in the center of town, this town that had persecuted them, that had hurt them. And I want you to see what Cyprian said to, to uh, this young church. He said this, he says, If we're going to do what Jesus did, who though he was rich, became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich, then I call you now to fan out through this town and give both personal and financial aid and care and comfort to all according to their need. Not whether they're Christians or not, not whether they're your enemies or not. We're called here to follow what our master did. See, from the very beginning, Christians have thought differently about generosity, about money, about possessions. And how could we not? If the spirit of this generous God lives within us, we have to learn to, to be led by the spirit and learn to live this life. So let's read this text, these short verses, and let's look at uh, this idea of, of what's going on here. Let's, let's understand how we live these generous lives. Uh, we start in verse 32. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, as we look at this short passage, it's kind of a snapshot of, of this early community living out their faith. And again, what we're going to see is they thought differently than everyone else. They thought differently about money, about possessions, about generosity. In fact, the way they saw it was uh, to live with, with extreme, extraordinary uh, generosity. And so what we begin to see is, how did they, why did they do this? How did they do this? The first thing we see is this, is that they believe that generosity begins when I discover I am not the owner. Generosity begins when I discover I am not the owner. And we see the first Christians visibly different in this way. Now, this was not, the, the, the leaders of the church did not demand this. They did not ask for them to, to see their possessions this way. They saw it this way. But if you were to look back, uh, we didn't read this, but if you were just to look back, there's a, there's a prayer that takes place right before this. And as they're praying, they're praying for God to move in their midst. They, remember last week, they come out of this situation where uh, Peter and John have, have done this great miracle and then they've been uh, uh, arrested and told not to preach in the name of Jesus. And the, and the whole dynamic we see is these dynamic leaders, this faith that is growing is a result that these are men that had been with Jesus. 
And as we're with Jesus, we, we see this way that faith grows. So they come back to their community and they gather together to pray. And as they begin to pray, uh, they're praying for God to move. Help us speak boldly. Stretch out your hand. Do amazing things in our midst. And it says that the Spirit of God filled them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see now out of being filled with the Holy Spirit... How they, how they lived, how they acted. They lived such generous lives. But they, their, their prayer, if you look at verse 24, it's so interesting. The prayer is uh, that they, they see this idea where he is, look at verse 24. It says, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and, and the sea and everything in them. See, when your prayer begins with that kind of title to God, it, it says something about the way you see God. Sovereign Lord. You're the one in control. You're the, one, you're the leader. We're following you. You're the creator of everything. It's all yours. And this is the way that they lived. Their view was to be extravagantly generous because it wasn't theirs anyway. They were not the owner. They were simply the managers. It was all God's. And God had entrusted it to them. So we see in verse 32, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. It wasn't mine in the first place. It all belongs to God. God's entrusted it to me. And so what I have, they began to look at needs and abilities to change lives. See, generosity begins to flow out of us when we realize it's all God's in the first place. It's always easier to give away someone else's stuff, isn't it? Than to give away your own stuff. And the the moment you begin to realize it's not mine. God has blessed me with the ability to make this or the ability to have this. He's entrusted it to me. But from the very beginning, God's people have been told, you are being blessed so that you will be a blessing. I love the story of this uh, young church in Argentina uh, as they were coming to faith in Christ and, and responding to this kind of message that they were seeing. Uh, there, there was a moment where people in the church came to the pastor and they brought the deeds to their homes. And they said, we want to get, these are not our homes. These are the Lord's homes. And so they gave them to the, the, the pastor of the church. And the pastor didn't really know what to do. So for 30 days, he prayed. And then he came back to the people and he gave them back their, their deeds to their homes. He says, you know, I've prayed. The Lord doesn't want empty homes. But now that you understand that they're his, you use them for his glory and, and, and you, you, you live in these homes and you bless people through your homes. And he said something really changed in his people because all of a sudden when they began to see their home as not their home, but God's home and, he, and they were living in it, it was a great privilege to open their home to those who were in need. John Maxwell says this, he says, if everything belongs to God, what on earth are you doing with it? If you are not the owner, if you are the manager, if if God is the owner of it all, if it all belongs to him, what are you doing in this life? What are you doing in this world with what he's entrusted to you? Generosity begins when I discover I'm not the owner. And when I discover this, I get to be put in a position where God's power can be used in me and through me to change lives. But the second thing we have to see is that generosity requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice on our part. To respond this way, you're going to have to be prepared to sacrifice. And we see this in verse 34, that those who own land or houses sold them. They brought money from the sales. They put it at the apostles' feet. 
You know, think about this. If you're, if you're a, a Jewish leader at the time or you're part of the uh, Jewish faith, that to sell your land is not just a, it's not just an investment. It's an inheritance. Now, we see that there were wealthy people in the church. And, and again, this was not the church demanding this. There were people who had, God had given more to. And they saw this and they saw the needs of the people and they made a response. And the response was, we have more. We're going to give more. And so what we see is that uh, there were those that says those who owned lands or homes, we might describe those nowadays as landlords or property owners. Uh, but these wealthier members saw this. And we have a, 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 an example, a guy named Barnabas. And they saw the needs and they saw a way that, that God had blessed them in order to meet the needs of the church in that place in that day. And what they were doing was they were creating the community that God had always dreamed up. See, Deuteronomy 15.4, the scripture said this, the the dream community God had dreamed up was this, there will be no poor among you. And those that had the ability, who had extra ability, saw their wealth as a way to create the community that God was dreaming up. Even John the Baptist had had challenged, and we see this in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 3, that, look, if you've got two tunics, give one away. Give it to someone else. And do the same thing with your food. If you have plenty of food, make sure you take care of someone who's hungry. I mean, this is the picture of God's great community and the people were doing it. And what Luke wants to show you is this in this little picture is, do you see it? It can happen. God's dream community can happen if you will live generous lives. If you will let God's power work through you to live generous lives, then then you will see lives changed. Now, it's good that we see that those who had more were doing more. See, Jesus explained this. We don't have time to go in it, but if we were to look deeper into the teachings that Jesus had, we'll see this in Luke 21. But Jesus taught that it's not about equal gifts. It's about equal sacrifice. So the reality is if, uh, if a high school kid in our church gives 100 bucks and I give 100 bucks, same gift, but, but let's be honest, not the same sacrifice. For a high school kid, it's going to probably take weeks for them to, to save up enough money or take some extra jobs or extra shifts, at whatever their, you know, their job is. But for me, I get paid every couple of weeks. I've got a, a good job. It's not the same sacrifice. Now, one of the things that's so interesting is this, and we see this in this passage. One person described it this way is what they call gospel patrons. That, that what God does is that he does bless some people with more. They have this ability to create wealth. You're good at your job. You're good at business. You're ethical. God has blessed you. You have more. But because you have more, it's not just so that you can enjoy more. It's so that you can bless more. And gospel patrons are people who are, in essence, kind of behind the scenes of big things that God does. So you see this in Barnabas. We get to kind of see a kind of a a picture of a guy. We can actually put a name on him, but usually you don't get to put a name on this person. But what we see all throughout the history of the church over these last 2,000 years is that there have been these amazing movements of God, revivals or missionary movements or or, uh, just powerful works of God. And what we usually see is the preacher or the leader or the missionary. We know their name, but what you don't know is the name of the person behind who's paying for it who's paying for it all so that it can happen. So a great, let me give you an, an example of this. Uh, we just read our scriptures in our English Bible, right? Maybe you've heard the name of Tyndale before. Tyndale uh, was a guy who had a vision of seeing the Bible translated into English. And as he began to think about that, as he began to pray about that, uh, here's the problem. For a thousand years, the Bible's locked into Latin. 
So if you're, if you're an Englishman, you couldn't read the scriptures. But he wanted people not only to read the scriptures in their own language, in their own heart language, similar to what we're doing with the Aita and others. He wanted them to encounter that God. And so he had this vision of this. Here's the problem. Uh, translation was illegal. You could be killed for it. So you, we know about Tyndale, but probably who you've never heard of is Humphrey Monmouth. Monmouth was the one who protected Tyndale and provided for him and bankrolled him and provided ships to, 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 to bring his Bibles in these English New Testaments into England. And very few have ever heard of it, but, but there's, so many, there's stories a lot about guys like him and men and women like uh, this uh, person, people who God had blessed, they're behind the scenes, and they're people who do just extraordinary generous things. Why? Because God has enabled you to do that. And some of you here have that ability and I want to pray that, that I, I want to encourage you to think about that. Be thoughtful, be prayerful. God has blessed you. Why? So you can enjoy more or so you can change more lives. Think about this. John Reinhardt writes about this and the opportunity of you, you have in your life. He says, the titans of philanthropy will be remembered for giving a, to give good causes. But gospel patrons, the Barnabases, will be remembered for giving to eternal ones. Where philanthropists aim to nourish people's bodies and train minds, gospel patrons prioritize people's souls. Gospel patrons treat symptoms, but ultimately they go after the disease. And some of you, God has given you the ability either in this life or maybe through your inheritance or whatever it is, there will be some way in which you get to play a role. Maybe you'll, you'll never get any fanfare for it, and I don't think you care. But someday someone in heaven is going to run up to you and say, you have no idea what your gifts and abilities did to bring me to this place and, and, and this existence. Now, all of us are called to sacrifice. And without sacrifice, it really isn't generosity, is it? It, it, it requires, for it to be generous, it's going to require sacrifice. C.S. Lewis, a tremendous writer, uh, C.S. Lewis challenges us. And he says some, some, some very challenging things in this quote. It'll be up here on the screen. He says, I do not believe one can settle on how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those of the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures excludes them. All of us are called to make sacrifices. But here's, the, I, here's what I've learned. The people that do this will tell you it feels like a sacrifice at first, but once you enter into this life, you realize it's really no sacrifice at all. It is, it is your joy to do this. Now there's two ways that people live this kind of generous life. There's, there's two approaches to it. There's two ways people give. Uh, the first approach is where a lot of us are at, and it's spontaneous. We give spontaneously. And if you give spontaneously, it probably means that you give sparingly and you give sporadically. Now, that does not mean you don't have great, great intentions. It does not mean you don't have a tremendously generous heart. 
It just means that the intention and the heart doesn't actually play out in a plan and a delivery. The reality is for some of us, we, we, just don't, we just don't plan for it. We don't make the decisions for it. And when that happens, you don't really get to live out, I think, what the scriptures call us to. So what you see in 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9 is this call to be generous people. But the idea is this. You should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Now, how are you going to get to that place unless you're thoughtful and you're prayerful? Unless you're quiet before the Lord and you ask him, you've entrusted this to us. Now, some of you have even gone through our financial peace classes and you realize you're thinking differently about what, what you have. You're standing back and you're now looking at your money and you're deciding how much do we live on and how much do we give away? And you're, you're creating a plan for that, aren't you? And as you're doing that, you're realizing, and see, if you're, if you're spontaneous in what you give, you really don't have, you don't know what you, what you give or how you give. So here's the difference. The generous people, people who live generously, who this isn't just spontaneous, here's the difference. They'll tell you, you must predecide. You must predecide. You have to predecide. Rather than giving spontaneously, you predecide. You're thoughtful and you're prayerful. And when you do this, this makes generosity a priority in your life. It makes uh, generosity a priority of your family because you can talk about this as a family. You decide what you're going to live on and what you're going to give away. And think about that. In Orange County, most of us live on 100% or more. That's why we're all in debt. Okay? Most of us don't have a plan and we just kind of live on We just kind of do what we feel like we want to do. But when you stand back and you look at what God's entrusted to you, and you have a plan that you can think differently and you can respond to God the way that he wants. And generous people give and they progressively give more because they realize that they can, they should, and they want to. So let me give you um, a suggestion. If you're a spontaneous giver, let me give you a suggestion that has helped me. Uh, Set up your gift as a reoccurring gift on your banking. If you're, if you do online banking and you sit down and you look at all your bills set up, you can see it in the bulletin, how to do it. Set up your gift here as a, as a reoccurring gift so that you can give thoughtfully, prayerfully, whatever the Lord leads you to give, you can give that way. Or you can go on beachpoint.com and you can set it up this way. Now I will tell you, uh, I want to give to our benevolent fund. I have great intentions for it, but what I found was I kept forgetting. I never did it. It wasn't happening. So I thought it was being generous, but I just never did it. So what I did is I went on beachpoint.com. I set it up every month. I actually get an email saying, thank you for giving to the, I was like, I didn't even remember I did that. But I love that I, it's that way because I've, I've looked at our, I've looked at our, what God has entrusted to Kim and I, and that's our plan. Now, my wife, she loves to, she likes the, the, the actual envelope of checks. Most of you don't carry checks and most of you don't carry cash. You don't have that. It's a different world. But you got to understand, the reason why I'm inviting you to think about setting this up as a reoccurring gift is the world has changed. Culture has changed. You don't bring the first fruits of your crops, right? And that's what they used to do. If I were to bring the first fruit of my crops, I'd have three strawberries here to share with one of your lunches and we really wouldn't get very far with it. It's just the world has changed. You think differently, you act differently, you work differently. Here's the goal. The goal is be thoughtful, be prayerful. I know you have generous hearts and generous intentions. I want to help you actually live that out. I do that with all, our, all the missionaries I support. I set it all up as a reoccurring gift because if it came down to me, People I love and want to support, I've never given them anything. Not because I don't want to, but because I'm stupid. 
Okay? So, now, I would love for you, I would love for you to try to do this if, if this is where your heart's at and, and this is your family. If this, you're part of Beach Point. If you're not even a believer, you, you can Twitter or do something else. But I would say, if this is your family, if Beach Point is your family, I want to encourage you to, to think about this, especially right now, because we're about to go into summer and summer's when we all go on vacation, we disappear, all our great intentions, our great intentions, we kind of lose. And so Beach Point can very easily slump in the summer, even though our ministries are, are ramping up and we're going to do crazy great stuff. We have over 500 kids coming for vacation Bible school. We have over 400 uh, students that are going to camps, five different camps, uh, parent workshops, family nights, all these kinds of things. So as your pastor, can I ask you to consider praying about setting this up as a reoccurring gift? Uh, I think it will bless you. But here's the last reason why I want you to think about living this life. Because what we see in this passage and what you're going to see in your own life is this. Generosity changes lives. It changes lives. See, caught between 32 and 34, these verses, is verse 33. With great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And we see over and over again, as we're seeing the book of Acts, that daily... God is adding to their number. See, these these folks lived this way because they were one in heart and mind. They believed their generosity would change lives. See, one of the reasons why I want you to live a generous life here is we believe that lives are going to be changed. This is why last week we invited you. If you were here, we gave you one of these, uh, a daily journal uh, to talk about our, our 8 to 15. So 8 to 15 is the small little relational world you live in. Last week we thought about our family, how to bless your family, how to serve your family. Uh, this week we're thinking about our neighbors and our neighborhood. And I want you to grab one of these if you haven't. But go through, spend a, spend a day or a couple days thinking and praying and working through this. All of a sudden, what I found was this. As I began to think about it and pray and read the scriptures, I, I just noticed things. I noticed things God was doing in my family and in my, my larger family and the opportunities God was given. And I was so excited about it. Uh, then I knew it was about neighborhood. And I, I, God had gave me this, this chance encounter with some neighbors and so excited about that. So I want to encourage you to go through this. And, and the reason is, with because I want you to have an expectation that through you, God is going to change lives. And through our, our generosity, God is going to change lives. We, we care about the lost. We care about lost people being found and people that are dead becoming alive in Christ. What, what you may not have captured in the, in the baptism video is this. There were 11 tremendous stories. Uh, there was a, you might have noticed, there was a son baptizing his mom, another son baptizing his dad. There was a husband baptizing his wife. There was a, a, a guy who came here via a, a Valley Day family who wound up coming to the church and then inviting their friend. And on and on, story after story after story. Tremendous stories. Uh, we, we decided to start a new campus so that we could uh, reach the city with the gospel, share the good news of what God is doing uh, with the city. It's not, I mean, we could, we could cram them in here. We have room, but we did this because we want to see lost people saved. And I want you to give with expectation, with anticipation that people, lost people will come to know Christ. We care about the next generation. We're heavily invested in those who are, are part of our, our, the next generation, our kids, our youth, our families. 
Uh, I got a, an opportunity, a, a kid I was praying for for 16 years, opportunity last, last summer or, or in winter uh, uh, to provide a scholarship. It's like, are you kidding me? Of course. And with expectation and anticipation, praying and, and how God used that, that gift and used that in, in this uh, girl's life and how she's come to faith in Christ. We're bold. We're not reckless, but we're bold. Uh, I don't know if you realize this. You'll hear more about it next week. But uh, eight different people who sit in our pews, eight different people from this congregation in the next year are planning to go be sent as full-time missionaries all over the world. Eight. Uh, some in the U.S., some in our local community, and some to parts of the world where the gospel hasn't even gone yet. It's amazing what God is doing. And when you give, I want you to give with, with your, I want your heart to be so full, so full of expectation and anticipation that lives are going to be changed. But don't you notice this? Barnabas is named, and you're going to see this in the, in the coming weeks. Barnabas's life gets changed. And when you give, one of the things that you're doing is you're living this generous life. You're going to discover that you, are, you have been changed and you are being changed. And Barnabas, his whole life goes on this new trajectory as he begins to live out this calling that God has for him. And so have this faith that God's power at work through generous people changes lives. So let me give you just this quick uh, challenge. You'll see at the very bottom of your page, there's a checkbox. It says Barnabas challenge. Don't check that box until you've thought about it and prayed about it. Because think about this. So here's the challenge. In the next two weeks, you can write this down. And I put two weeks in parentheses because you don't have to hold it to 14 days. It may take you two weeks just to have the courage to pray it. In the next two weeks, sacrifice something of value to impact the mission of Jesus. Now, it can be something for Beach Point, but it doesn't have to be. I don't, it, it, this isn't about us raising money. This is just about you, you living out what you see in the text. Somehow, someway, if you, you decide you're going to pray. Now, I, I'll tell you, I was super excited to write this down and to share it with you. And then when I started to internalize it, my heart was racing. I was like, well, what's God going to ask of me? And I got a little nervous. I got a little scared. And, I, and then I decided, but think back to what we saw in, in 1 Timothy. Think back what he says, to live the life that is truly life. And so now, as, as scared as I am to pray, I'm excited to pray. I'm, pray, I'm going to pray this with anticipation and expectation. I, I may not know how God's going to change lives, but I know he will change lives through it. Generous churches change lives. They find favor in their communities. And, we, and what you're going to see is good deeds leads to goodwill. It leads to good news. And we know we're at our best when we're living generously. So let's pray together for this. Now, as we go to prayer, let me say this. If you're not a, a follower of Jesus yet, you're not a Christian, hold on to your money. Don't give us a cent. We don't want it. There's a much bigger response to this. I want to encourage you to think about responding to the generosity of God in this way. When you think of how generous God has been to you to give you his son, when you think of how generous Jesus has been to, to give you his life, would you consider giving your life to him? So as I pray, if that's your prayer, as you, as you see that, if, if what you're saying is, Lord, I want 
to receive the generous gift of your salvation. I want to receive the generous gift of my sins being forgiven. I want to receive the generous gift of your spirit living in me and following me. And so I, I'm going to lay down my way and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to place my, my life in your hands. And by that act of faith, that brings you into a relationship with God, a relationship you were always meant to have. And so as I pray, if that's your prayer, just simply say to the Lord, that's what I want. That's my life. That's my heart. And so, Lord, we pray now. We join with those who are here today who say thank you. Thank you for the generous gift of salvation and for offering us salvation. Thank you for the generous gift of your son, for dying for us. And so we receive this gift. We say thank you for the gift of salvation and life in you. We say thank you for willing today even to fill our lives with your spirit. That's what we want. That's what we want. We want to lay down our life and we want to live for you and for your glory. And so bless each person who that's the desire of their heart. Meet them in this way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.